Our first scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Now listen to and hear the word of God. Then God said, let us make humans in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humans in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, see, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Here ends our first scripture reading. Last week, we uh, began uh, a sermon series and a learning series called Almost Divine Consciousness, A Theology of Technology. Last week we focused on uh, this notion of a technological society, not just a society filled with devices, but filled with goals and purposes that those devices serve. Today we're going to be talking about artificial intelligence and what it means to be human. Artificial intelligence and what it means to be human. Our second text is from Isaiah, the 10th chapter, verses 12 through 15. When the Lord has finished all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, he will punish the arrogant boasting of the king of Assyria and his haughty pride. For he says, by the strength of my hand, I have done it, and by my wisdom, for I have understanding. I have removed the boundaries of peoples and have plundered their treasures. Like a bull, I have brought down those who sat on thrones. My hand has found like a nest the wealth of the peoples, and as one gathers eggs that have been forsaken. So I have gathered all the earth, and there was none that moved a wing or opened its mouth or chirped. Shall the axe vaunt itself over the one who wields it, or the saw magnify itself against the one who handles it, as if a rod should raise the one who lifts it up, or as if a staff should lift the one who is not wood. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, break open uh, these texts to us this day. May they resonate resonate, uh, in this technological age in such a way that we may have a clearer vision of not just who we are, but who you are. We pray that your spirit would be in our midst, that we would be aware that you're meeting us even in this hour. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Uh, last week, as we do each and every Sunday, we have an eight o'clock, nine, uh, an 8.15 rather, nine o'clock and 11 o'clock uh, worship service. And after each service, a few of you came out uh, and mentioned to me how meaningful the call to worship and the unison prayer of confession were to you. Well, I have something amazing to share. 
Uh, I didn't write those elements for worship. It was actually written by an artificial intelligence platform called ChatGBT. Now, when you ask ChatGBT what it is, it will tell you that it's a state-of-the-art language model trained on a vast amount of text data from the internet, enabling it to understand and generate coherent and contextually relevant responses. So in preparation for our worship on June the 4th, I asked ChatGPT to create a call to worship and to create a unison prayer of confession based on a specific prompt. I asked it to craft these elements that would uplift and include the themes of redemption, of transformation, of human limitations, of dependency, of connectivity, of community ethics, of values, of the image of God, human flourishing, creation, stewardship, all in relationship to a theology of technology. And from that prompt, ChatGPT generated those liturgical pieces that we used last week in worship. I then shared them with Lee Barano, our director of publications, so they could be included in the bulletin. And uh, for full transparency, uh, I did it again this week with the prayer of confession. Now, ChatGPT uh, was made available to the public in November 2022, and it possesses an impressive ability to comprehend and respond to human dialogue with remarkable refinement and speed. It's highly intelligent, it's sophisticated and efficient. It can write poetry if you ask it to write a poem. It can, can, it can compose text messages and emails in response to texts and emails that you've received. It can create term papers on any topic, much to the chagrin of educators. It can write code. It can develop a packing list for your vacation. It can devise a meal plan with estimated calorie counts and as I've just revealed, it can create liturgy for your Presbyterian worship. And it can even write your preacher's Sunday sermon. It didn't this week. <laughs> During a conversation with one of our members about the capabilities of this technology, especially around sermon writing, he said to me, well, it looks like you're gonna be out of a job soon. The reality is, is that various knowledge-based professions, including market analysts, including bankers and preachers and teachers and consultants and lawyers, customer service providers, medical technicians, surgeons, and code writers, among many others, have reasons to be concerned about their employment into the future. AI-based technologies and robots may replace these and numerous other jobs down the road. In a recent interview I saw on Wired Magazine's website with a technologist who was asked about the jobs that would remain for human beings in the future, he humorously suggested that we would all become shepherds again. But instead of tending sheep, we would tend machines and robots and computers. However, some predict a more uh, dystopian future where robots ultimately shepherd us. Think of the movie The Matrix, and you get the point. 
In our passage from Isaiah 10, 12 through 15, the prophet speaks on behalf of God, chastising the king of Assyria for his hubris and arrogance. You see, the king was impressed with his own military strategy and might, and he uh, overpowered the people of God, the people of Israel, but he fails to realize, he fails to recognize that he, in fact, is just an instrument of God's judgment against God's own people. He's just a tool in God's plan. This is what it says in verse 15. Shall the axe vaunt itself over the one who wields it, or the saw magnify itself against the one who handles it, as if a rod should raise the one who lifts it up, or as if a staff should lift the one who is not wood? This analogy portrays the king of Assyria as merely an instrument in God's larger plan. The tools that are mentioned the axe, the saw, the rod, and the staff hold no power independent of the one who wields them. And this perspective has been around for thousands and thousands of years, emphasizing that a tool or an instrument or even a computer in recent years cannot overpower its creator. In the 21st century, that conversation is changing. And that assumption is starting to have holes in it. There are some who entertain the possibility that what we create, in this case AI, might control us, might shepherd us. And whether or not this apocalyptic reality comes to pass remains speculative and theoretical at this point. Nevertheless, it does not negate the importance of having these moral and ethical conversations and having these considerations as these technologies begin to develop. That was part of what we just accomplished at the last hour, I hope, with Dr. Margaret McLean, Eberhard Voigt, and Jerry Perullo. And if you weren't in our 10 o'clock learning uh, session, I'd encourage you to take a look at it because we begin to dive into those moral considerations. It'll be up online soon enough. But for the rest of this sermon, what I really want to focus on is something particular and, and discreet. I want to focus on what the pursuit, okay, what the striving for advanced developments in AI actually reveals about our understanding of human nature. I want to evaluate what our striving for more advanced technologies when it comes to artificial intelligence tells us about what we value about being human, what we value most about ourselves. In 2002, theologian and University of St. John's professor Noreen Hertzfeld wrote a book entitled In Our Image, Artificial Intelligence and the Human Spirit. And early on in that volume, she posed a profound and meaningful question. She asked, what are the qualities and capabilities that we deem so important to our human nature that we aspire to replicate them in AI? And that's a powerful question. What do we deem so important about ourselves that we are inspired to mirror them, to replicate them, to duplicate them in AI? Implicit in her question, I just want to name this, even though it is implicit, is the notion that human beings are creating AI in our image. That we're creating AI in our image. And what we seek to create, and what we seek to replicate, 
reflects what we consider to be most important about us. And so in order to discern what that is, we have to ask the question, what is it about us that we value so much? What is it that makes us human? Now, from a biological and anthropological standpoint, we would answer the question, well, what is a human being? By saying that something like a human being is a a living organism characterized by a unique combination. This is important. Not just any combination, but a unique combination of cognitive abilities, brain size and capacity, specific DNA and genetic structures, bipedalism, opposable thumbs, extended childhood, a capacity for learning, and the ability to progress culturally and technologically. And while these qualities and characteristics that come from the biological and anthropological world uh, may be found in other life forms, we may find them in other life forms, these features uh, don't exist in any other life form but Homo sapiens in terms of the scale, integration, and intricacy of who we are. It just doesn't exist in the created order. Beyond these descriptions from biology and anthropology, we can also invite psychology and moral philosophers and even theologians into the conversation and ask what is it that distinguishes us, what moves beyond biology, what moves beyond anthropology that distinguishes us as living beings on this planet. And what many will conclude is that what separates us is our intelligence. It's our intelligence. And when I talk about intelligence, I'm not solely talking about IQ points or our physical brains or our cognitive abilities to figure out complex mathematical equations and algorithms. I'm delving into what we might call the life of the mind, the life of the mind, which serves as the core of our self-consciousness as an intelligent life form. It was psychologist and retired Harvard professor Howard Gardner who in 1983 introduced the concept that I'm sure many of you are familiar with. He called it multiple intelligences. He suggests that human beings have, to some degree, eight types of intelligences. We have linguistic intelligence, right? We, we have the ability to use language effectively, including reading, writing, and speaking. We have logical, mathematical intelligence involving logical thinking, mathematical reasoning, and problem-solving skills. We have spatial intelligence, first, the ability to perceive and manipulate visual and spatial information, such as understanding a map or even creating a mental image in your mind. We have musical intelligence. It involves sensitivity to rhythm and pitch, melody, and the ability to appreciate and create music. We have bodily kinesthetic intelligence that relates to the control and coordination of body movements, the ability to handle objects with skill and precision. We also have interpersonal intelligence involves the understanding and interacting effectively with other, even under, others rather, even understanding their emotions. Intrapersonal intelligence refers to our own self-awareness and our own self-understanding, including the ability to reflect on our own thoughts, our own emotions, and our own desires and motivations. 
And then finally, he says there's naturalistic intelligence, the ability to recognize and understand patterns in nature, including the environment. The fact that we're trying to create and enhance artificial intelligence reveals exactly what we consider to be the most essential thing about us. It's in the title itself, artificial intelligence. It's our mind. That's what we're trying to replicate with AI and robots and automation. That's what we're trying to image. It's our intelligence that we want to reproduce through complex algorithms and machines. Now, the idea of creating something in one's image is not an unfamiliar concept to Christians. It should be very familiar to people of faith because at the core of our theological anthropology stands the doctrine of the Imago Dei, and it declares that human beings are created in the image of God. Human beings are created in the image of God. Of course, human beings, and we see this throughout the scriptures, talk about themselves as the pinnacle of creation, the masterwork of God's created order. In fact, we'll sing a hymn at the end of this service that quotes Psalm 8, calling ourselves little gods. And why not? I mean, just listen again to what Genesis 1 says. Then God said, let us make humans in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humans in God's image. In the image of God, they were created male and female. God created them. According to scripture, it's humans who are made in the image of God, not continents, not dolphins, not oceans, not hummingbirds, not trees. While all of creation reflects the majesty and God's handiwork, humans have been set apart in a particular way as the only species to be created in the image of God. It's important to note, though, that this distinction does not give us freedom to exploit the environment or the animal kingdom. On the contrary, our dominion should mirror God's dominion. And how is God's dominion characterized? It's characterized by providential stewardship, kindness, and care. Listen to what it says in Psalm 145. You open your hand, Lord, satisfying the desire of every living thing. The Lord is just in all of God's ways and kind in all of God's doings. So we're called to, to imitate God's dominion in this limited and temporal way with a stewardship and a kindness and a care that fulfills the very first vocation human beings were ever tasked with. As we're coming to the, the end of the sermon, I, I wanna return to the pursuit and desire for AI and what it reveals to us, what it reveals to us in terms of what we value the most, that we value our mind, we value our intelligence, even attempting to bestow it upon non-human entities. One thing the scriptures and our tradition has handed down to us is that our intelligence does not compare to the intelligence of God. Our intelligence does not compare to the intelligence of God. For example, Although our intelligence allows us to create using materials that pre-exist us or laws of the universe in the created order that pre-exist us, God's intelligence creates out of nothing, out of nothing. 
God's intelligence created those laws of physics and the natural world. Our intelligence for sure empowers us to create remarkable things, but we lack the power to create on the same scale as God. For example, we cannot create the necessary conditions that makes galaxies, planets, and stars possible. We cannot do it. Only God can do such a thing. So to borrow a phrase from the Apostle Paul, a little bit out of context, but it works here. Our intelligence reflects God's intelligence, but only in a mirror dimly. Only in a mirror dimly. The prophet Isaiah said it like this, God's thoughts are not our thoughts and God's ways are not our ways. Even so, as I said last week, this has not stopped us from striving to become God's ourselves. In the sermon that launched this series a week ago, I fused the ideas of two thinkers making the case that the emerging goals of the 21st century appear to be the pursuit of immortality, the pursuit of uninterrupted happiness, and the pursuit of godlike power that can be achieved through technologies that they themselves are powerful, efficient, and reproducible. And the quest for godlike power, friends, you know this to be true, is nothing new. It can be traced back to the Garden of Eden, right? To the forbidden fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve chose to partake in an attempt to become like God. In other words, to know like God knows. In other words, to be intelligent the way that God is intelligent. Since the beginning, we've harbored this deep craving to be God. The creation yearns to be the creator, which should serve as a powerful lesson and, lesson and caution as we embark on the human quest to create AI in our image. We could ask the question, and it's theological in nature, could AI rebel against us as we have rebelled against God? Might it seek to replace us as we have sought in a secular age to replace God? Could AI pose a threat to us just as our secular age has declared that God is dead? Might AI declare that we are dead too? In the 21st century, our pursuit of AI tells us something. It tells us what matters the most to us about what it means to be a human, our intelligence, our mind. And we should hold it in high regard. It is an evolutionary gift bestowed upon us by God, setting us apart from all other creatures in the created order. The words of John Polkinghorne, a quantum physicist, pastor, and theologian, they resonate for me here. He once said that our intelligence enables us to engage with the world, discover its order and beauty, and actively contribute to the ongoing creation of knowledge. But it goes beyond that, he says. Polkinghorne says that our intelligence, it's our intelligence that opens the door to a profound relationship with the divine. And when we read the scriptures, we realize and we recognize that this is the very reason why God created us in the first place, to be in relationship with the created order. And this creation flows from the enjoyment of an eternal relationship, an intimate relationship rooted in love that God shares with God's self in the Trinity. Did you notice the language in Genesis 1 that it's not singular, it's plural? Let us create humanity in our image. 
creator, redeemer, sustainer, the life of that love flowing out in a creative force to create everything known and everything unknown. And what God has revealed to us is that God wants to have that relationship with us the way that God experiences that intimacy and love with God's very self. It was revealed to us through the ministry of Christ and it's, it's prompted in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. But it is the gift of our intelligence that makes us self-aware and aware of the revelation of God that God is revealing God's self to us, that we actually have the capacity to be conscious of that revelation. And that's what makes us different. And that's what God invites us to do, is to receive this relationship. May our minds, by God's grace, grasp the magnitude of this truth. And may it lead us to humility, gratitude and praise this day and every day ahead. Amen.